Welcome to episode 44 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. We've had another short uh, little hiatus there the last couple of weeks, Daz, and uh, gee, not much has happened since we last spoke, apart from Jimmy Butler going down, uh, Kawhi Leonard dramas in San Antonio, LaMarcus Aldridge going down as well, uh, Portland now sneaking up to the three seed, the Eastern Conference playoff race pretty much sorted, but apart from that, mate, it's been a pretty quiet couple of weeks in the NBA. Jeez, just another, just another um, month in the NBA. It's crazy, yeah. Yeah. So, look, what what we wanted to do tonight, rather than go through good, bad, and the ugly and, and things like that, we wanted to just, I guess, pause for a second, get a bit of a temperature take of the uh, of the West and the Eastern Conference and the Tankathon stands because that's that's I think the most fascinating things as the season goes on is going to be that West Plaf race. You've got ten teams now going for. Uh, obviously, the eight spots, the top two are set, but everyone else could really fall out of the playoffs. And I can't remember a playoff race like this for many, many years. Uh, so I think that's going to be very interesting. And obviously, the Tankathon race, where there's, there's um, as we touched on last time, eight teams within two games with each other. I think that's changed a little bit since we last spoke. But that that's going to be continue to be an interesting race, I think. And I want to ask you some questions about that and get your thoughts on how teams should, I guess, approach that. But we might start with the Eastern Conference, Daz. And and the reason I want to start with that is uh, I think the Eastern Conference is pretty much sorted in terms of playoffs. I can't see Detroit. Detroit really needed to make a run in the last week, and they just haven't done it. I mean, they're 2-8 in their last 10 now. Detroit so they've really lost their opportunity it hasn't been a ridiculously hard schedule for them either and then uh, the Hornets again they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 that pretty much mirrors how their season's gone they just haven't been able to take advantage uh, of, of some good matchups that they've had and, and particularly a run of home games that they had before and after the All-Star break so barring a miracle for one of those teams I think we can pretty much say that the eight teams are set in the Eastern Conference but the big thing now is going to be uh, where the teams, obviously rankings and seedings within the playoffs. And a big game happened toward that today with the Bucks taking on the 76ers. And these are the sort of games that are going to be massive. And I guess seeding matters more for Milwaukee than it does for a lot of other teams simply because their first, first round pick next season hangs on the fact that they might need to get above that seven seed uh, up into the six. So I'm not sure. I think they're, they're still in danger if they have seven or eight seed, potentially. They really need to get up in that six seed to make sure that they hang on to that first round pick of next year, which I'm sure you're more familiar with than what I am. But I know you caught some of the games today. I turned the game off thinking that the Bucks uh, were gone because Philly couldn't miss a shot in the first two and a half quarters they were shooting 65 percent when i turned it off and up by i think about 15 and then i i had to do a double take when i checked the score again because i just sort of looked at it and i think it was 108 100 and i thought oh okay yep philly have held on to that lead and then i looked again and thought hang on that's 108 100 to the bucks and then uh, you of course filled me in on some of some of the uh, particulars of the comeback. So, what what did you make? I know you watched quite a bit of the game. What did you make of that? And I guess then expand on that. Those thoughts into what you make of the Eastern Conference at the moment. Yeah, I guess we'll start down there, then we'll sort of zoom back out. Yeah, look, um, Philadelphia made fourteen of their first seventeen shots, and coming off a five game, four game, five game losing streak, all to East rivals, um, several in heartbreaking last second fashion. Coming into the game, this was not quite 
You know, it's, 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 it's as make or break as you could have a game at this point in the season when you probably are still going to make the playoffs, right? But they the wheels had come off in Milwaukee. And, um, yeah, they were behind 33-14, to 14, and they were behind, I think it was 86-66 in the third quarter. So they cut a 20-point lead down to a couple in the third, and then bang, it went back to 20. And then they went on a 21 to nothing run at the end of the third. And the fourth was a bit of back and forth, but the Bucks kind of held a kind of like a between a five and ten point lead most of the fourth quarter and and Brett Brown finally sub, subbed out at about two and a half minutes to go down 14 and 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 of course they went and promptly made a 7-0 run with Luawu Cavaro and and a couple other guys but um so the few takeaways for me was a, a continuation of one continuation of the theme I don't look I know that they're young I know the Sixers are very young and and still learning but uh, I'm, a, I'm a broken drum, a broken drum, broken record. I, I, I'm wishing that team was was Ben Simmons's team. Um, they feel a bit front runner to me. With Embiid beats his chest and you know taunts Tyler Zeller. You know when things are going good and you know he's revving up the crowd and doing his you know one-fisted windmills running up and down when when things are going and then suddenly they get punched in the face and what's he do? He's shooting force 21-footers. He's bouncing it off his, his foot. He's trying to make a spectacular pass to nowhere. So then B committed seven or eight turnovers, most of which uglier than the one prior to it. And I just, I just have to start to wonder, right, is that what sort of habits is this developing when your best player, and he is their best player, right, most talented player, is your leader, and he is wild, and he's all over the place, and he thinks he's a lot better than he is. So Philadelphia turned it over 27 times, I think, today. I know they, they lead the league in turnover percentage, but this was extreme. And, yes, Bledsoe kind of tends to be everywhere. And, yes, Bledsoe loves matchups like this. But it was, it was more Philadelphia's looseness and sloppiness than it was, you know, any sort of Bucks, lock, Bucks lockdown defense. So more, I guess, those who watch Philadelphia more frequently will probably say, look, this has been a, a tale of the season all year very capable of, of dominating for, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, but not uncommon for them to gen, just sort of lose the plot and blow big leads. And so it's the first time I'd seen this in quite a while. Um, and uh, from a Bucks perspective, a, a extraordinary re- relief, basically, where Giannis put on, you know, his mean mug and, and played some amazing basketball in the second half. But so that's just one game, though, right? And they're, they're down there. They'll battle to the very end. I think Miami, no, sorry, Milwaukee, um, Philadelphia, Washington, Indiana, all within two games of each other. Uh, Cleveland's, I guess, only a half a game ahead of Indiana as well. So two and a half games basically separates number three from number seven. So, um, well, I'll and tell you the your- team just quickly I like out of that at the moment is the Pacers. But we might get – and just quickly on the Sixers, I've seen yeah. them do that multiple times this year, to your point. And it's not only the turnovers, it's the shot selection goes out the window as well. And when you're taking consistent bad shots, they're almost as bad as a turnover. Sometimes they're worse than the turnover because the guys are getting long rebounds and they're off to the races. Yes, all of the above. And that got me to – so that the two parts for me was I wish Simmons um, were, would exert himself on the team more, and he doesn't. He is a very passive facilitator, very talented he had a really good game today. I haven't checked the stats line, but he had almost had a dozen assists halfway through the third, if I'm not mistaken. But he's very effective, right? He, he does a lot very similar to Giannis, right, in so much as that he can collapse the defense, 
get a lot of places on the court. His handle's not nearly where Giannis's handle's at, but his vision is superior. But um, so you just would wish that this great facilitator would control the tempo and control the offense and control a bit of the mood and the temperament and the flow of the ball, but it doesn't. He is very passive. Um, it is all through Embiid. Lots of handoff screens, lots of posts and reposts. And I even heard um, they were saying, um, the announcers said, Brett Brown wishes Embiid would take six or eight three-pointers per game. And I go, that'd be six or eight too many if you asked me. Similar with Boogie Cousins. With a guy that physical, that specimen, the power of their game is their ability to shoot the three, that they th- threat to shoot it, right? Not to say you staple them out there 26 feet away and shoot eight times a game. So the conflation of those sorts of things has me wondering, how warm is Brett Brown's seat? How happy is the is the fan base with this style of play, which is very loose? It's very reckless. It looks they come out of timeouts and throw the ball into the stands, uh, right? It is a it is not a cohesive unit by any stretch. And how long can you go? Almost like Jason Kidd, how long can you go with the, oh these guys are just young sort of narrative and have that be okay? So that's well, for me. This is his what? last year getting away with that. Now, I think the Philly fan base generally think they're ahead of schedule. Um, I, I think most, I mean, they were high on them, I guess. Maybe Philly fans were high on them than the rest of the NBA, but a lot of people, including ourselves, didn't think this team would make the playoffs. They certainly seem locked into the playoffs at this stage, again, barring some sort of miracle below them uh, or an injury to Embiid, something like that. Uh, and. The Fultz thing, that I don't know how much you can blame Brett Brown for that. I think he needs to take some responsibility for that. I'm not sure. You'd have to know the internal machinations of, of the Sixers to know how much blame to attach to him. But I think this is his last chance. Like This is the last season where, OK, it's a young team, developing team. Next season, these losses are just going to be unacceptable. And the fact that they've probably had... It feels like nine or ten of these losses are probably not that much, but they've certainly lost a lot of games where they've had big leads and big leads late. Uh, it's not just like they've been building big leads early and teams have been sort of clawing back. They've had some big leads and then they just sort of seem to get this swagger about them and uh, it doesn't work out for them. And that's why I go, I, I don't, from the outside looking in, I go, that style of play, where's the coaching in this? How do you how do you let 21 to nothing Runs happen. So during the 20, that's not a metaphor. It was 21 nothing run by the Bucks. It turned into a 31 to five run across the. So it was 21 nothing to end the third quarter, and then 31 to five spanning the fourth. So Philly scored a quick five, then the, the Bucks went another 10-0 run. So um, what I saw in that is he had T.J. McConnell and, and Ursan Ilyasova played. Like you made the comment during the game, they were like a I don't know a minus 22 each of them in about 13 minutes of gameplay in a game that was you know, basically a five-point game at that point. And I go, Brown just ran them out there, and McConnell was was embarrassing. And he couldn't stop anybody. He kept turning the ball over. He'd get into the lane and couldn't couldn't do anything with it. Urson, you know, did Urson things. He's trying to draw charges on every single play down down the floor, and he's, you know, he's pretty lead-footed. At this point, where the Bucks got that momentum, they're just running. Now they're just running it out in transition. And I go, what the fuck is TJ McConnell and Urson Ilyasova doing the middle of a 21 nothing run continuing to, to play. So I go, where was Brown? He didn't call any timeouts. So I go, it just, it's just like he let it. It's like, is his philosophy, these guys have to figure it out themselves? And I go, that's an okay philosophy. If you got out there, you're starting five. But he's got his, you know, Flotsam Jetsam on the second unit, and then it wasn't playing any of the athletes. You know, Lawu Cabarro, 
you know, um, far more able to get up and down the floor. He doesn't come in until garbage time. So these things I go, what, again, uh, small sample size theater here, but I go, yeah, okay, you're going to take a wide angle lens and go, you know, the Phillies ahead of schedule, but my goodness, there are some, there are some awful habits, awful habits on the floor. And I go, that's got to be some coaching. So anyway, it was a, um, I don't know if I was a if I was a Philly fan and had a 21 point lead, you know, with the Amens to go in the third quarter and then lost it, I'd be I'd be pretty upset. But I, I guess you um I don't know they're still well, further to the point too. If they win today, they're half game behind the Wizards and they're one game back in the in the win column from the Cavs who are the three seed and they're then eight and two. I would think that would have made it in their last ten. So. You're really on a momentum. I'll be interested yeah. to see if that halts their momentum a bit, uh, or whether they're. I mean, because Embiid's now playing back-to-back games, so that's that's behind them, and he's been very healthy this year. He hasn't, to my knowledge, hasn't missed any games. Uh, he might have missed a couple early on, uh, just obviously apart from the not playing back-to-backs, but he hasn't actually missed any games where he's been injured this year. So I think I still think a lot more positives from Philly than negatives, but I, I take your point. I think that there there's going to have to be a bit more of a watch on Brett Brown as time goes on just to see, well, okay, how is this, how is this, develop, how is this team developing? How is his in-game coaching going? Um, and how and how are the individual players developing under his tutelage as well? Uh, yeah. So, and, yeah. And for the Bucks, look, I wasn't overly impressed with the Bucks. Got to be honest with you, Daz. I thought it was just a game. They got the momentum going. They played at their pace, and Philly just couldn't match that pace. I was interested in Giannis's comments after the game. They they considered this a must-win game. They they said this yeah. is an everything on the table game for them. So I guess from that point of view, it was good to see them win. But. I didn't leave it any more convinced about their bona fides in terms of being able to win, even win a playoff series. To be honest, no, uh, me either. But it's a it's a step, right? I go if I, they, you know, they'd lost a gut wrenching, disgusting game to the Pelicans by two, lost a similar game to the Wizards by three, and then they sleepwalked back to back on the road against the Pistons. They just didn't show up, and then came home and got blown out by Victor Oladipo in the third quarter. Um, against Indiana, so they had four brutal, just f- four losses to, to very four winnable games, and so that's what he meant by it was almost a must-win. And so the fact that they can go up against a full-strength Philly team and and come back from 21, it's a step. You'd love for them not to be down by fucking 20 points in the third, <laughs> but it's 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 better than not being able to come back from 20, right? So um, yeah, look, this team isn't gonna. This isn't a threat. I think they will scare every team. I think they could win two games against anyone in the East and probably will two game will win two games in the first round series, but I can't they just have proven nothing to be to win four out of seven. I don't care against that they couldn't I don't trust them to win four out of seven against Indiana or Miami or Detroit for that matter. They're just so inconsistent. They can get to really, really high peaks, but they just cannot bring it. What seven, about the Shabazz Muhammad signing? What do you make of that? I mean, it's obviously not going to move the needle a lot, but it, it could, I guess, help to avoid those periods where the second unit come in and, and just can't score for four or five minutes. Well, we got a kid called Jabari Parker now who, who was well, stealing it today, point, and he's, yeah. he's still playing 20 minutes, and he's he's phenomenal off the bench. I tell you, he, he, he truly raises the ceiling of the team because he's now, right, we don't have that thing. He knows he can't start, and he won't start, and he's embraced it. 
and doing really well. So I think he had 14 points again today in 20 minutes, drained a couple of huge threes, still has still good attacking the basket, and we hold our breath, much like Philly fans must do. You hold your breath every time he jumps, but he's been fantastic, and I'm not even going to dignify Shabazz Muhammad. I'm with, <laughs> I'm, with, I'm with Duncan Danny. I think he was the 432nd rated NBA player out of 434 this year um, of that have played, I think. He was 433 out of 434 in um, RPM. So Danny called him literally the, perhaps the worst NBA player of the last few years. And he called it inexplicable. And this is a 15th man on the roster move, right? But it's inexplicable, Daz. Inexplicable. I don't understand it at all. Well, say this but, about um, Jabari. Jabari's shot has, looks better than uh, than what it did before he got injured to me. And, and you're obviously a bit more learned in, in his mechanics than what I probably am. But... Uh, he just certainly the three pointer as well. He just looks more comfortable taking it. So I'm I'm guessing that they would have worked on his shot quite a bit as part of his rehab process. Um, and as for Muhammad, look, let's let's see what a, a change of scenery does to him. He, he was clearly pretty miserable there in Minnesota. He has shown something earlier on in his career. So whether he can sort of find something again there, yeah. I, I get I get the feeling the Bucks are going to play him. That's that's why I sort of bring it up. I, I don't think he's going to sit there on the fifteenth man on the bench for too long in this term, but I guess that remains to be seen. Well, yeah, look, there's still, you know, Delhi had a, has a, probably the worst possible ankle sprain you can get, like these, the ankle sprain is, you know, that keep him out perhaps multiple months. He's not close to coming back. Brogdon obviously still out, and Telly probably, you know, he's, he's tried to deflect... Um, well, he might retire. You know, thoughts of retirement. Mm. He obviously needs to deflect it because he needs to get a paycheck. But um, yeah, look, there's they're playing basically with a you know 12 man roster, so they could use some depth. I just don't understand the signing. But mm. then to be back to you, one of your earlier points, yeah, they are uh, they're motivated to win every game. But if they finish um, in the 11 to 16 draft spot, means that they'll have to convey that draft pick, and so they basically have to finish as a seven seed or higher. Okay. So if they finish in the eight spot. There's even a good. There's a possibility. I think if they finish seventh, you could be. Could, I think that I think that's right. If tank, the Eastern Conference is worse, there's a possibility if they finish seventh, they can still fall that sixteen. Well, that's what I go. They they do it by overall record, not by seeding. I mm. think. I think the tankathon. So if we just no, had a I quick think look, the seventh seed in the West is going to be worse. Oh, sorry, the East is going to be worse by, than the seventh seed in the West. Yeah, it's by straight record. So at this moment, the Bucks pick would convey to Phoenix. So even though they're the seventh seed, that's right. No, that's right. They're the seventh seed. It would yeah, convey, that says Denver. It would it would convey. That's right. So they got to climb above Philadelphia, so Denver, Washington. And yeah. I wonder if the players were were um, cognizant of that today because um, it's. I guess it was more about the the losing streak and ending that than uh, just worrying about the draft pick. Yeah. At some point, yeah. I guess the coaching staff. Someone needs to be made but, aware that, that they need to yeah. get a wriggle on. It was more about riding the ship, but so to zoom back out real quick about the East, um, I think it's a. Uh, yep, Indiana is looking like a solid team. I just think they're still radically outperforming their talent. So that kudos to McMillan for getting that team to perform. Oladipo was a very fun player to watch. I you know I don't know if anyone's really truly afraid of Indiana. In a series, I don't think the, they the are. I think they can sneak up into that three seed because I'm not liking what I'm seeing from anyone else. Well, yeah, I mean, they're bunched together. Cavaliers are the three seed, but they're only two and a half games against out of the Bucks in the seven seed. So, you know, that's a that's a very fight, very tight pack. Cavs have now lost two in a row, right? Their season 
point differential is basically zero. Right? Their you know, defense hasn't proven to be any better. Now Tristan Thompson's hurt. You know, they had J.R. Smith throwing soup. Not a metaphor. He, <laughs> I mean, he silence of the lambs and threw his junk on someone when they walked by. It's a pretty bad, another bad story coming out of Cleveland. So, Lord knows what's happening in that place. Wizards have now lost three in a row again. They just continue. They're almost boxy and they're just so inconsistent. The Wiz, um, I actually think their ceiling's lower than the box ceiling. Um, it's probably the one team I'd like to play in the first round is the Wizards. This is the Sixers we've talked about quite a lot already. They'll make the playoffs, but man, they they just you can't turn the ball well, over. They've got an easy schedule to the, the Sixers. That's something to watch. They got the third easiest schedule in the league uh, for the remainder. So that's a that's a worry for the Bucks. I think in terms if you're worried about that first round draft pick, uh, the Bucks probably. That's need what to I mean. We the Bucks the are going to need to pull out. They're going to need to beat a Golden State or a Houston or beat San Antonio or they've got more Boston. They they got a Bucks got a tough schedule. Yeah. That's why these last four games were so so devastating. These are these are good teams, but this is elite teams. And uh, Toronto has separated themselves, right? They've got a two two games clear of of Boston. I watched the second half of Boston Houston, and you know, very very high quality basketball game. So long as you don't have to stand and watch James Harden run the same play 150 times in a row. Um, Chris Paul, actually, I think we were remarking Chris Paul took over that game, not James Harden. But um, sorry, I don't want to talk about. It. Sorry, I don't mean to digress into Houston. But Boston, Boston played a really good, you know, typical Boston, really smart game. But again, down the stretch, they have they have um, Kyrie and they have Kyrie. So he's really he's their only shot creator. And when he doesn't make something happen, in the long arms of Houston or PJ Tucker or Reezer in the way deflecting balls, that's what sort of happened. You know, Boston just couldn't execute their offense the last three minutes and. Houston made some great defensive plays, so some of the stuff we've been reading about Boston kind of dropping down to below 20th in offensive rating for the season, you saw it again in a very small sample set. They just couldn't execute on the offensive end down the stretch to hold on to beat Houston. So, look, they'll be the number two seed, though, and there's nowhere. I don't think they're going to catch Houston, and obviously they're not going to fall beyond Cleveland. And um, so, yeah, I, I think the – so. Taking a zoom out, you're right. I think Detroit's four games back of Miami for the eighth spot, and they've lost two in a row again. I think I'm I'm writing them off. I mean, it's they they can they can make up four games, and Miami is not a world beater, but I don't predict that they're going to make up four games now having lost eight out of ten. So the no, eight, I think the, the eight or the eight better chance yeah. of of somehow pulling off a miracle than Detroit are at this point. Who are the Hornets are a better chance than the Detroit at this point. And they were, they, were until they just lost back. three in a row. Yeah, yeah. But so. um, I was going to go back to my just throw the throw it back to you for a minute, Daz. And um, some of this came up at the MIT uh, Sloan conference, the analytics conference that was about a week ago now, a week and a bit. Um, but it was le- not leaked, but sort of reported about a conversation that was had there. And my my question to you was in. in I don't want you to answer this like you were saying from what do the fans expect, but um, back to the 76ers again is, is the process working? Has the process worked? Has the hinky process, is it working? Well, this is my question to you. It is. Well, in the point of view, I guess the question you'd have to, the, the other point you'd have to make to that is, if this is not the path, so we've seen this path, this is the hinky path, they're now sitting yep. in the sixth seed. 
Uh, they've got two very good young players, arguably the two of the better five young players in the league at the moment. Uh, they've they've whiffed on a couple of picks. Who knows what's going to happen with Fultz? So this is the hinky part. What what was the other path? I mean, what what's the path not taken in terms of the sixes? And I think that's the big question um, that I, I think smarter people than me might need to have a look at. So I, I take the point of people and saying, you know what? It probably it hasn't worked in the terms of you had Nerlens Noel go in there and go out of there and is a head case. You had Jahil Okafor comes in. He's totally unplayable. He's probably out of the league uh, within a couple of seasons. Uh, multiple guys, uh, Michael Carter-Williams and other guys, just guys that have come through that system, picked up terrible habits and never quite lived up to their potential. And... Who knows whether Embiid and Simmons are also going to live up to their potential. Yes, it's an exciting young team, but is this necessarily the best way to develop talent? And that's been the question, I think, all along in terms of Philly. If you just have this mentality within your team that, yes, we're happy to lose 60 games every year for three years and we're going to shut guys down, not play them and all this sort of stuff, is that necessarily the best way to develop players? Or do you try and... You know, just always try and be competitive, always try to have a good locker room uh, presence and, and have some veterans around that sort of show guys how they, how they uh, behave and, and what a winning culture looks like. Is that a better way of going about it? And should Philly have had more of those sort of players around and maybe one aim to win 30 games rather than being happy to win 20 games? I think that may be the, the path not taken. So... It's hard to definitively say, though, at the moment, I think, whether it's working or not. I think the signs are more positive than what they probably were two years ago, but whether this is the ultimate, ultimately the best way to build a franchise or not, I'm not sure. So sorry, yeah. to, sorry to hedge on, on that answer a little bit. No, there. look, that's okay. It's, I guess for me it was, you know, it was the, you know, all the losing, right? Is all the losing and how many years did they have? Like, when did the... When did the full-blown tank? I mean, that was was Hinky there for 2012-13, so would he have drafted... I was wondering, I'm trying to remember, was Hinky there to draft Michael Carter-Williams? Yeah, I think well, that was his started, first draft. Because they drove it away during all day, and they that's got right. Nerlens Noel and Carter-Williams, and of course Noel was already gone for the season there. Uh, yeah. And then they went, and as Bill Simmons had said, look, if they were really going to just take high upside guys, that's where you probably take Giannis. But that's, you know, that would have been a massive swing for the fences at that point. Yeah, look, there was a lot of guys there. I mean, that was, uh, you could, could have taken Olinick <laughs> or Schroeder. And even a Schroeder would have probably been a better fit, right? Or uh, I think they just missed out on CJ McCollum, didn't they? But so maybe is that the, is that the, uh, is that sort of the defin- the answer is that the process is working? They just didn't draft well enough, right? Or they had a chance to really. I think that's the point. really if get you it early. Take although Giannis and, yeah. and Porzingis, then this is a totally different conversation, and we're saying this is the most genius thing ever. But because you take uh, Carter Williams or even Noel, if you want to swap them to add an Okafor, or hell, then it's not. It's, yeah. It just hasn't worked as much or as well. And who knows with Fultz, but that's obviously not on Inky anyway. Yeah. Well, they basically got, yeah, so it was, yeah. even Yeah, so that 13 draft, right, missing with, with Williams, although that's basically turned into this this Lakers pick, believe it or not, right? So the, uh, how many years later, that's, already, that's still paying dividends, though, 
right? So yeah, the, I don't think it was the Williams. I mean, you could say the Nerlens Noel pick, but Nerlens Noel was a very highly rated player, I and mean, it was only the injury that made him drop. And you you wonder how much of their pathetic culture has hurt Nerlens Noel's career. Well, that's a different conversation, isn't it? Yeah. The, but that's where it comes back, back to, the, to the process. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to sit yeah. there and say, we're happy to win 20 games a season for three seasons, uh, you know, that's a lot of losing. And that's just not, it's not the way to build up a team. And that's one of the reasons the league stepped in. And one of the things that um, they did straight after that was signing a lot, guy like Elton Brand is obviously not going to do much for you on the court, but he's, at least he's going to improve the culture off the court which had become very, very toxic over the time. And there were, there were, I think, legitimate question marks over that. So, And that's the question, I think, these tankathon teams, as we transition into that, that's the question I suppose they're asking themselves now. I mean, we've seen Orlando win two straight uh, this week and, and look a bit better since they've got some players back. Aaron Gordon's back now. Vucevic is also back. And the question I think some of these teams ask themselves is, look, do we just prefer to lose? Uh, and, and start resting guys or do we want to try and build a culture of winning even if it costs us a few draft spots what's your thoughts I mean where, where do you sort of what's your view on the process at this stage of where it's at and obviously the process itself is finished apart from I guess the Lakers pick that they're going to get this year uh, or by, by some miracle it ends up being the, the Sacramento pick next year but what, what's your thoughts on where they're sitting at the moment well I, I... I guess I'm, I was answering my question with my question, which is I think the process, the process is working. The the fatal flaw of war, they still think the maybe not the fatal flaw, the missed opportunity, right? And perhaps why I think Kinky should be knocked down a peg or two is not so much that he's missed on his draft picks. That happens every every exec misses draft picks, right? So I'm not going to bag a guy out too badly for you know MCW and, and Noel and that sort of thing. Everyone misses picks matter if it's the number three pick or number 33 pick. What, what I think is under-discussed is the fact that if you're going to go through the process, where I think they lost their way was not recognizing the broader trend of the NBA heading towards a 3-and-D, wing-heavy, um, athlete-heavy, right, centerless sort of league. And, and so, therefore, the taking the, quote, best available talent – i.e. backing up you know, year after year after year, Embiid, Okafor, Noel, I think was so flawed because of the position they were drafting, right? If they had seen the broader trends in the league and taken a look about you know, what, what Cleveland was doing and how Golden State was playing, um, they would have taken a, you know, gone for a whatever, the Aaron Gordons or the Wesley Johnsons or the Giannis's or the, you know, those sorts of players, like load up on wings with really high upsides instead of loading up on fives, really, really strict fives. And so whilst I, I still to this day am disgusted and repulsed by um, Adam Silver intervening and in installing the Colangelo regime, um, so put that aside for a minute on how that occurred, the, the narrative at the time, which, I, which leads to your point, is how can so the second one is missing the, the broader trends and not drafting wings, but then secondly, when you don't when you don't put an NBA team together, 
when you don't have ball handlers, play playmakers, play initiators, shooters, right, athletes, wings, etc. When you don't have a a mix of skills, you do, you you develop a lot of bad habits, right? You got guys playing out of position, which I think goes to your point. So if if Hinky would have been able to one draft better or two spend a little bit of money to you know to have ones play the one and twos play the two and combos play three and four, you know, surrounding Noel and Okafor and so forth, and occasionally drafting a shooter instead of a big, that maybe this process would even be, they'd be in a, even a better position than they are now, which is still pretty bright, but it's pretty bright based on an extremely fragile human being and um, a guy who can't shoot. So well, um, the story I guess also a cop-out answer. But. The story goes in terms of the, the Okafor pick that he, felt he was in his job was in danger and there was external pressures that pushed him towards that pick um and he wanted Porzingis but that's some of the sort of hinky apologists out there uh that want to run that narrative I'm not sure how much I'll buy into that um but that that was the pick I think that was indefensible when you look back even at the time you're like there's there's no need to take Okafor uh, even if he did turn out to be a really good player, and Bede comes back, Noel comes back, you got too many players, uh, and even Richard Holmes, who they were high on internally at that, even at that point. So you've got too many, too many bigs. You're assuming you're going to be able to trade them, but obviously you, you're tanking the trade value of a player simply because you got too many of the same player on your roster. So I, I think that was the indefensible pick when you look back at it, um, and maybe if he takes Paul Zingas there. He's still in the job, and, and even without the Giannis, because, I mean, the Giannis would have been a bit of a stretch. It's always nice to look back and say, no, yeah, no, should no. have taken yeah. Giannis. But in terms of the Pozinga... Teams thought the Bucks. everyone thought the Bucks were reaching. He well, was no quote, one knew remember? what to make of the, the video highlights, because it was like some of these guys that come over from China, and you think, well, what's what's the level of con- competition? And we saw it after Yao Ming. There was a few guys drafted from China who looked really good on video, but just didn't do anything in the NBA. And, and everyone was just like, yes, he looks fantastic on tape, but what's he actually going to be like when he comes over? And it was, when he came over in the G League, I think everyone saw the jaw hit the floor. And uh, I remember David Thorpe was there, and he, he picked him straight away and said, this, is, this guy is unbelievable. Uh, I think he compared him to Kevin Durant, not just from a pure athlete point of view, when he first saw him. So there's a pretty good judge of talent um, that picked up on pausing as soon as he saw, uh, sorry, Giannis, as soon as he saw him in the summer league. But prior to that, everyone thought that was a massive uh, swing for the fences for the Bucks. Well, it was. It's brought into the lexicon. I think it was Fran Fraschilla in the draft room who. He, he, I think that's the first time I'd heard the phrase that Giannis is three years away from being three years away. Right, that was that's kind of where where that phrase was born was was with a player like Giannis. Mm. So right, as an indication of we have no idea, it's a total crapshoot, and you know. Um, so anyway, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on having. You know, I've seen quite a bit of Sixers this year, and I, I don't like a lot of what I see. I know the talent level is there, and its talent level is higher than it's been. They got a very healthy cap. That's the other part of the non-process. You do have to respect uh, what Colangelo has done. They got a really clean, really clean cap sheet, you know, moving forward. Um, but uh, it looks like a lot of bad, a lot of bad habits on the basketball court, and some curious, curious coaching. So, well, let me throw we'll a quick. I've got two quick uh, questions about those. One goes back to the Indiana Pacers, and I just think is Victor Oladipo one of the top five most important players to his team in the league? Because 
they can't win a game if he's not healthy. And who's the top five most important players just in terms of if he goes down injured, that team's that team's gone. I mean, obviously LeBron's one, Giannis two, Anthony Davis now three, but he probably wasn't as important when Boogie was there. But who's who's after that? I mean, because I wouldn't That's put a great Harden question. players um, up there. I think Oladipo's right up there. Nobody on Houston. Again, this it's a challenge, right? Because these these the awesome teams have so many stars, right? So nobody on Houston. You know, Harden goes down. They still got you know a Hall of Fame point guard That's and right. ten shooters. When well, we've seen Gold, that they stayed afloat this year when Harden went down. They stayed afloat. Oh, Kyrie. Look, I was I was also going to say Kawhi, but look at you know, I know they've fallen off a bit hard lately. Lost three in a row, but. You know, the, the Spurs system is so bloody strong and pop so pop. You know, without your best player, they're still nine games above 500 in a well, and the extremely tough conference. Because of uh, LMA. LMA, too, yeah. So. Let's say, that's a great question. Uh, it might be, let's let's put Oladipo in there. I think Giannis, yeah, definitely Giannis. He's probably not, not number one. Because that team can... Yeah, Bloodso and Middleton and Jabari can score. Oh, Kemba Walker. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I wouldn't even say Porzingis. I mean, the Knicks. Uh, if uh, it's hard to tell if the Knicks, you know, what they would be like without without Zinger, and they're in tank mode now. So that's we can't can't get really can't really get a good measure on that one. Yeah, so I'd say Kemba Oladipo, LeBron, Dame, D- LeBron. Dame Lillard, Dame Lillard probably. What about and... Donovan Mitchell? Already? Nah, Utah's a. Take it's a him strong. Off the jazz and where are they? Where are they? Yeah, that's a, yeah, no. Hmm. He's top ten, most important. And oh, <laughs> Devin Booker. Imagine, <laughs> imagine Phoenix without him. They might well, be nine and fifty-six. We haven't had to imagine. <laughs> We've seen it a number of times. Yeah. But yeah, so your point was Oladipo, and yeah, he he single. Look, he didn't have a spectacular game against Milwaukee a couple nights ago, but um, it was just a flat game. Both teams were flat and a bit tired, and they're both shooting like thirty four percent for that. Just one of those NBA games where there's nothing's going in for either team, and it's going to be a war of attrition. And he just sucked it up, and in the third quarter took over. And he scored. It was like you know thirteen points in the quarter, so nothing you know explosive. But I think the Bucks had eighteen as a team. And he just he just took over, and they they won in the fourth. So, I I, I love to see that from a young guy. He, can, he takes over. That's what I don't see from Embiid. I just you don't see Embiid when shit gets tough, where he he does hard things against hard players with a hard attitude. And um, I've seen him tone down though. To be fair, I, I have seen he had a pretty violent foul on Zeller in a breakaway um, today, and I was screaming because it was a dangerous dangerous foul. Right, it reminded me just of Andrew Bogut, you know, getting hit by Stoudemire and and you know collapsing his elbow and and Zeller landed very hard on his arm. But on the replays, he just he hit Zeller's head. He wish he would let him go, but he, he actually was looking quite contrite after that and was I wouldn't say shaken, but you could tell. Like a couple plays later, Giannis gave him a hard foul, a clean hard foul, and he they shared a tap on the butt. So anyway, my point of my story was a. Uh, um, I guess maybe Embiid's number five. Maybe Embiid's number five that I talk about it. Um, he certainly makes them more dynamic. But um, 
off the floor so um but look i think oladipo just un- an unbelievable season still to me the biggest surprise packet of the season the fact that uh, not only indiana who have been doing it lately without collis and he's due back shortly um i believe he's still out anyway but uh, they're still seven and three in their last 10 and i, I think they're going to push up into that three so i've not been impressed by what i've seen from cleveland in the last a uh, couple of games where they've they've lost and they haven't looked great since coming back from All Star break. The other question though, without notice, sort of goes back more towards the Tankathon side of things, and it's something that I'm not really that familiar with. I've got to be honest with you, Daz, and that is supporting a team that is in tank mode. I've, I've supported the Spurs since uh, the late '80s or the early '90s. They've had one season where they've missed the playoffs, and they ended up with the one seed and got Tim Duncan. The rest was history. So, and even that season, there was a lot of injuries happened, and it was actually a pretty fun team to watch. They had Dominic Wilkins, late career Dominic Wilkins, Vernon Maxwell, I think Chuck, Chuck Person was still there. So, they were a fun team, but there was no young players to watch. It wasn't like we're saying, well, let's see how this Dominic Wilkins kid develops. Like, there was no question what was going to happen. Is next year we get Robinson back, we get a nice draft pick, and we reload and go for the playoffs again. So, it wasn't, it wasn't the same mindset that I think a lot of these other teams are in. So, what I'm going to ask you is, from a fan's point of view, if you're an Orlando Magic fan, if you're an Atlanta Hawks fan, what are you looking for from the last 20 games of the season? Uh, is it just, let's be competitive for three and a half quarters and then let's lose and make sure we get a good draft pick? Or are you hoping to see better signs of a winning culture, some of the young players develop? What sort of things, I mean, put you, take yourself back to when the Bucks have been in those situations. What sort of things are you looking for from a fan's point of view in these last 20 games? Well, the Bucks were never in tank mode. That was the problem with with Herb Cole, when you know trading Tobias Harris for ten minutes of JJ Redick, right? Was that he was always trying to get the eight seed because he wanted the revenue from the playoffs. So, uh, actually, my team hasn't really been in tank mode. They've just been in irrelevant mode, right? That mid- middle ground purgatory, the thirty-eight win purgatory. But yeah, look, the casual fan, right? I think. It, I guess what's the casual fan like? They want to be entertained, and so how how entertaining is it when your team is, you know, is getting getting blown out? So I think the most entertaining games are going to be when you've got Orlando versus Dallas, right, and Memphis v Atlanta and Sacramento v Phoenix. So the most entertaining games now are going to be the intra tank, <laughs> the intra tank, right? Where you got ooh, what's the, you know, what's the who, who's going to out-coach whom here or out-suck whom? So that's a bit of fun, right? Because those games are going to be more wide open. But when you, you got, you know, you play, you know, it's the whatever, the Spurs versus the Mavs. What are you watching for? You're hoping for a Dennis Smith dunk and um, praying not to have injuries. And so what you look for, right, is what your rookies can do. And then you're looking for the, right, you always sort of, the, the little last glimmer of hope is, man, hey, what if the number 13 man on the roster gets a good run? And what if he turns out to be, you know, Alan Williams or TJ Warren or insert son here, right? Um, Phoenix son here. That's the other thing that can make it fun is when you when you um, the only way you effectively discover players through the tank. You know, the guys deep in the bench, you start to get a run and say, you know, my, my, my poster child is Alan Williams from last year's Phoenix team, right? Who's built like Oliver Miller. And um, he had that string of double-doubles, didn't he? And uh, wouldn't have never played if they weren't tanking. So 
that's about it, right? Is there a is there a little missing S on the end of that's kind of fun. Other than that, you just yeah, you just want to be entertained, I guess. Yeah, that's and a, I guess to try and try and pick your playoff team that you want to go for in a in a month or so's time when the the more yeah. serious basketball starts. Or I guess what I what I would do in 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 years past is you literally just tune out, watch the box scores. Um, if something really interesting happened or you had a great upset, then you go back and watch the highlights, the condensed game, and you you just you just ride it out. You just wait for the draft, and you just sort of you know try to empty your 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 hope reserves and uh, yeah, wait. For, well, here's for, the other question: I guess, America so- baseball season. If someone said, he, here's a choice, right? You're an Orlando Magic fan. Here's the choice. You can finish the season 15 and 5, and you end up in you know, out of the tankathon race. You're picking sort of top 10, no better than that. But Aaron Gordon shows, continues to show some signs. Vucevic still continues to show some, well, he's, he's probably developed where he's going to be. But you see, see some good play from some of the young guys. Isaac comes in and plays well. Would you sign up for the fifteen and five finish, or would you just say, "No, nah, give me the two and eighteen. We rest Aaron Gordon for the rest of the way, you know, make up some injury, and we get the, a top five pick." Let's say. I mean, what, what would you if, choose from those those two? That's a great question. I, and I got a different question. I'll bounce back at you on the same thread. Is in in my mind, I'd probably answer it differently five years ago, but with the one and done era, and with the fact that we're uncovering more Giannis's and Gobert's and Whitesides and Draymond's and, and you know, a lesser extent, Brogdon's and Sterling Brown's and, you know, all kinds of valuable, you know, Cosmos, etc. right? I say you definitely hope for the 15 and 5 because that's showing you that, hey, maybe our assets can be something greater. Maybe they've got levels that they can still achieve, right? So long as those 15 and 5 are, isn't just, you know, 15 banquet wins against other lesser Orlando Magic teams – and you see things like, again, using this example, Gordon taking over games or draining three-pointers or developing some kind of really great chemistry or Hazonia has a great coming-out party. Absolutely, you take that. You should hope that it's the, the, the makings of further progress. And you hope you hit on your number 10, right? Um, that certainly would be better than watching them flounder and rest or get angry and like, like what happened in Phoenix last year and play loosey-goosey ball that's meaningless and hope to get the number four pick, you know. So I probably answered it differently, you know, a few years ago, but I'm now seeing that the draft is more of a crapshoot than ever. I think the talent is tending to be deeper and deeper in these drafts, and you just don't know when you're going to get Donovan Mitchell, right? You just you just don't know. So, um, yeah, that's, that's probably – I don't I know. Would you, that would, leads to the point yeah. from, from our point of view, and I'm, I'm with you 100%. I'll take the 15 and 5 finish and I think building a culture and player development is far more important than draft seeding you know now now drafting yeah. the right player and you're scouting and that that's all well and good and this is a, a, an argument that Chris Vernon's had consistently across the year because he's a Memphis Grizzlies fan and he says it's all very much overrated this sort of draft seeding and everyone wanting to throw everything away to try and climb up the draft culture and, and player development and, and having a... Like, give me the team with a good culture, strong player development and the 10 pick rather than the team with a losing culture, ordinary or average development and the 4 pick. 
or even well, even the one pick, depending on unless it's a Tim Duncan type draft. This is where we, the pundits, we, the talking heads, we who don't sit in that locker room can only pontificate, but we can also then just listen to what players tell us. But when, when Giannis says that it was his second year in the league, the Bucks finished that surprising 41 and 41. It was kids first year. They finished like what top two or top three in defensive rating, right? Or something like that. And they had, they had Jared Bayless. They had Jared Dudley. They had um, Ilya Sova. They had OJ Mayo. They had Zaza. When you hear Giannis say, and then they had a couple of wins, right? They had a couple of really awesome wins. They were down, um, they were down three zero to the Bulls, right? This was the back when the Bulls were still very good. This is Jimmy Butler, Taj Gibson, Thibodeau. This is a very very strong Bulls team that year, but they were down three nothing and then won two in a row, right? And the the confidence that build to go into a playoff environment, lose or go home environment, and get one, right? All right, we're down three one. And then go to Chicago and get another one, right? And you go to the, go to the enemy territory who just wants to kill you. And to win that game, winning those games, as Giannis says, that meant more to him than any of the 82 games he played that season was those two games. Oh, granted, I think then they followed up game six. I think they lost by 40 or 50. No lie. It was historic, yeah. right? It was like 112 to 66 or something. But I, when Giannis says that, that the, those two games – were more important than the 82 prior to it that we just have to take him for what that what that's worth and so that's where you know but that's the importance of progression so if you're Orlando you'd love to finish 15 and 5 get another great hope you hit on your number 10 draft pick and see if you can get something closer to it next year that's why this is your coming full circle the what's the what's the path not taken for Philadelphia we'll, we'll never know what the path not taken is but um you just you just wonder if they're developing any habits. Now I'm going to switch because this is a, my other second question without notice for you, and this will be um, Mr. Producer segue to the Western Conference. I heard a, I heard a comment today on it was uh, I think it was uh, one of the Ringer podcasts, and here's my question to you. The comment was um, even if Jimmy Butler comes back healthy, say in a month's time, that they're not going to win the championship this year. So just rest him and don't let him come back. Don't let him play. Do you agree with that statement? No, not not unless there's a, some sort of injury risk for him coming back and playing. What's the argument to, to resting him? The rest, knee. You know, let 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 the surgery. Even if he's healthy, let it. Don't take a chance. Don't come back. Take the season off. You're not going to win. Um, you know, playoffs are brutal and physical. You could be matching up chasing Harden and Paul or Curry and Durant or on the perimeter for 38 minutes a night. Don't don't put your body through it. Don't put the team through it when you're just coming back from a, from an injury. Well, where's the data support that that's going to? I mean, is that going to hurt his career longer term? Is what what's the odds of a, an extra injury happening uh, with that? I mean, what's I don't I don't I'm not buying that. It's it's a better idea to rest him at this point uh, and bring him back at the start of next year and do what you're basically going to be the same team. You're still going to be chasing Houston and Golden State. So what's the what's the point? You may as well say let's just give up every season. Well, this is you know this is a chance for um, Wiggins and Carl Towns to step up. It's for them to show that they can you know lead the you know lead the team and and well, fill a gap. Had their and... chance to lead the team. It's they've they've not done it. We know the answer to that question. 
I mean, why not just pack up your things and go home and say, let's not bother? <laughs> I mean, we're trying to compete to win a title. Every team should be trying to compete to win a title, especially when you get to the playoffs. So to sit there and say, I'm not going to bring a guy back because we don't think we have a chance. What happens if Harden and Chris Paul, uh, Durant and Steph Curry playing in a regular season game all get tangled up and all break their ankles at the same game? <laughs> and you've just sent Jimmy Butler off to surgery and look pretty stupid then, aren't you? No, so yeah, if you I'm, play a Pachulia twister, that could happen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but that's a, that's a Look, non, that's nonsensical to me. So, so thank you. So I I wasn't sure where I'm. I couldn't agree with you more violently. But that's what that was the um, that was the point of view of the sources say podcast, the Ringer podcast today was that was the that was the, the consensus. If he's not if he's not perfect, you can't win the championship. So don't even play him. Well, go, but then let's extrapolate that out. Any team that can't win the championship, just don't. If a player's in the hundred percent, you're not taking the court every night. So this go. This is back to a broader point, which is kind of my Kevin O'Connor, the the twenty five year olds who are trying to take hot takes. This is again, this is sources say where they're talking about things like uh, DeAndre Jordan put putting his house up for sale, which mm. apparently he's done. Right. So again, this is the. This is the 25-year-old fans talking to other 25-year-old fans, apparently. But that's how they think. That's that's an indicating indicator of, of how they think. So you're asking me about what you think Orlando should do and what's a casual. You didn't ask about the casual fan, but you know what do you think these teams should do? I I I almost punched my metaphorical fist through the television if if the podcast was on the TV. <laughs> now I'm just totally morphing my metaphor here, right? But uh, I. I that's the last time I'll listen to sources say. Let's put it that way. But that's that's what passes for that's what passes for what they think the analysis is, right? This this fake. They don't have any idea what competitiveness is like. They have no idea what locker room is like. They just uh, they think they read the analytics and they read the studies about rest and the, the theory goes oh and you read that the the there's two super teams in Houston and in Golden State therefore don't try. And that's that was the consensus. If he's not perfect, don't do, don't give a don't give it a try. But I'm with you. I mean, I couldn't be more violently with you. If you play, you play. If you're ready to play, you play. Well, do There's you think Anthony Davis is 100 percent at the moment? What he's just gone through in the last month? Like all the players are banged up at this point in the year. No one's going to yeah, be 100. So I understand so he's it. come back from injury, so it's a little bit different. But I just think it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy it's crazy situation. and it's a, it's a it's all I go is it's a loser attitude. It's a they haven't made the playoffs in what nine seasons, yeah. and you're going to have your your single best player, who's cl- medically cleared to play, pulling a Kawhi. Sorry, pulling. That's going to be the new <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> but uh, that's yeah, I couldn't Word, believe I, words I, I could, hurt I, those. I'm just, I'm I couldn't believe I was hearing it. But well, it sounds like he's actually getting back. So maybe we need to talk. Talk a little well, bit about move, the West. We can and, move to yeah. the Spurs because the Spurs have got a similar question, I guess. I mean, I don't think there's any illusions they're going to win the title. I, I, I still think internally, I think if we get our best team on the floor, maybe we can give them 15 games to prepare for the playoffs. We can make some noise. But they've had the, they've had the same questions. I mean, do we bring Kawhi back? He doesn't feel 100%. Obviously, the LMA injury at the moment is not quite as severe. That's only a sprained ankle, so they'll be bringing him back uh, soon enough. But uh, the, 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 and, and the whole Pop press conference. So just to take it back two weeks, Daz, Pop holds a press conference, basically saying, I, I'd be surprised if Kawhi comes back this year. And I went from being 
I think Kawhi might have played his last game for the Spurs to oh no I, I can see I, I sort of could try and I guess visualise what Pop and the Spurs were trying to do with that press conference it was very much a message to Kawhi to say look if you're going to come back, you need to come back now because at the time he was rehabbing in New York. Uh, if you don't come back soon, uh, the choice is not going to be yours anymore. It's going to be Pops. And Pops basically said, in no uncertain terms in that press conference, if it's 10 games to go, we're probably going to say there's no point because he's had obviously a lot longer off comparing him to Jimmy Butler. So, But the Spurs yeah. want to bring him back. He's obviously, whether it's some psychosomatic stuff that he's just still feeling some pain the next day after playing games and things like that. He doesn't trust his body. All these sort of things are going through his mind. But the the news is he's back. Um, he's Hopefully they're going to be playing within the next, maybe even within the next week or so. Uh, Kawhi could be back for the Spurs. So that's going to be good news. And I think, look, no matter what happens, I think Kawhi will be back in San Antonio next year. I don't think they'll trade him. I think that whole press conference with Pop, that was really just tanking his trade value as well. So if he goes to them in the, in the off-season and says, I want to trade, they're probably going to say, like they said to LaMarcus, look, yeah, if you can get me Kevin Durant back in return, we'll trade you tomorrow. But at this stage, your trade value is not enough. I don't think they're going to be looking to trade for Brandon Ingram and you know a bit of Flotsam and Jetsam from the Lakers uh, and thinking that's a good enough haul. So I think he'll be back. I think Pop will come back for one last run with the Spurs. Uh, they'll probably bring it, bring the whole team back and, and just try and roll it over again. Pop may even announce it's his last season, try and use that as a bit of a leverage to get LeBron to play one last season with him in, in San Antonio. Who knows what they're going to do in free agency. But I think the whole talk about Kawhi is going to be trading the off-season, I, I think we can put that to bed. I don't think it's going to happen. Whether he will sign the extension of his contract that's another question um, that will be answered at a later date. But he will be leaving a record amount of money on the table if he doesn't sign that extension. So that's the only thing I'd say about that. So I, I fully expect he'll be back next year. And I still think the odds are in favour of him staying with the Spurs long term. And I think there's zero chance of him uh, being traded. But that, that's the insider or the insider fan view, if you like, and reading all the sort of information that I read about the Spurs. But what was your take? on the whole Kawhi situation, does Well, like I, I, I was on the outside looking in saying I could build a narrative around it, but I was still putting it at a, I think my vote was a two or three out of 10 likelihood that this narrative was real. This narrative, he's LMA got special treatment. Uh, his medical hasn't been going great. He's had disputes around, you know, the rehabilitation and, and so forth that therefore I was looking around and seeing, you know, pals going back to Los Angeles to, to work together. Uh, you know, I could build it from the outside, go, outside looking in, but there was no hard evidence, right? We don't really still have any hard evidence other than us trying to put, you know, draw a link between a pop, you know, 30 second sound bite and, you know, Kawhi returning to practice, right? That's the data we have. So I'll, I trust, I trust kind of your your read on it, and I, I, what I don't know, which was I think what you were alluding to, is what's being said, you know, what's Pop told his guys about him and his longevity and where he's going to be and to what extent, right? I think that means a lot for Tony and for Manu, but I don't know how much that means with Kawhi. I don't. I generally don't know how tight the Pop 
Kawhi Bond is. Um, so that's that's the other. I guess my last, my only question of you is the how this last little um, injury thing, notwithstanding, how would you have rated the tightness? You know, with with Tim and Pop over there on you know um, polygamy, you know, you know, supremely tight through to right. Um, what pick your poison over here, Fizdale and Gasol. On, on the other end of the spectrum, where where do you rank the? Those are my bookends, right? Where would you have rated, and where do you rate the Kawhi Pop Bond? It's certainly not where the TP and Manu Bond is, right? But where where would you rank it? I don't look. To be honest with you, I don't know. There's you don't get as much of those personally yeah. that's coming out of San Antonio to make a definitive statement on that. I think it, and the other thing about San Antonio is it very much an entire coaching staff. And the players, not just Pop, and and these players. So, and the, and there's been a succession plan in place. So whether that Kawhi comes into thinking there as well, I'm not sure. Uh, but I think at some stage Pop's going to say this is going to be the end point for me, and then players are going to make some decisions off the back of that. Um, but the, the the point, the big yeah. point, I think with Kawhi is when that contract comes up, he's going to be leaving upwards of fifty million dollars on the table if he goes somewhere else and signs somewhere else. That's a lot of money, uh, no matter who you are to leave on the table. I know they're well, well, well paid anyway, no matter where they go. But and I th- and I just think to put the bet again, unless it's a sign and trade um, at the at the end of his contract, I can't see him being traded um, before before that contract comes up. And and, and the only way I can see him being traded is a sign and trade at the end of his contract. Uh, so, but. I, I can't really give you much inside knowledge about Pop and, and Kawhi. I don't know there's that many... Kawhi's such a quiet guy and such an introvert around the organisation. I'm not sure how many people are that close to him internally within the team. I know Danny Green sort of said he's kept in contact with him through the whole process, but um, I'm not sure if he's a guy that sort of goes and hangs out and, and does things with the rest of the team as much as mm. maybe what Tim Duncan even used to. Uh, back in the day, so it's a little bit of a different dynamic there with Kawhi and the team. Uh, and just another quick point on that: Kawhi also uh, hasn't signed his extension with Jordan Brand either. So there's there's all sorts of uh, things happening there in terms of his endorsements off the court as well. So uh, it's, there's still plenty plenty to be played out in this story, Daz. But as usual for the Spurs, uh, you're only getting dribs and drabs of information. I mean, I think one of the most fascinating things about the whole Kawhi situation is this guy hasn't had an interview at any stage this year to talk about his condition. Not one. I just think that's... I think Marco Fultz has said more about his condition than what Kawhi has. That's been one of the most amazing things. In today's environment, to have, what, a top five player in the league injured for the whole season, a bit of a mystery injury, and no one seems to know anything, and he doesn't talk about it. I think that's, in, in many ways, the weirdest part of the whole situation. If this was, right, if it was, hell, if it was Anthony Davis, Kyrie, yeah, pick your pick. The top 20 players, we'd have top 30 players, you'd be having more dialogue than this, right? It is It is pretty bizarre. It's pretty bizarre, and I, I, don't, I don't know what to make of that. And you wonder, than, too, if it's not the Spurs, yeah. if this was Sacramento, they would be getting... Hauled across the well, goal, it was Philadelphia, for yeah, yeah, for the way they've dealt right. with this. But everyone gives the benefit of the doubt to the Spurs, and I think rightfully so to some extent because 
they, they've had such such longevity. I mean, nineteen seasons in a row winning fifty games, which is probably going to be broken yeah, this year. It's that, but it's more to the more to the here and now. Is that this, you know, this is a team who, you know, should be with Kawhi, right? With their record now, thirty six and twenty seven. If they had Kawhi, what safely, they'd be what forty three and twenty, right? Safely. I'm confident to saying that. So this is a team who should be an NBA top five team with Kawhi. So I saw there's no incentive on anyone's part. And we have no, there's no history, no evidence at all in Kawhi's history of, you know, trying to protect himself or not give everything right. There's none of that on either side at a time when this team is trying to get the, to make the most out of TP and Manu's basically sunset. So I, I, there's no circumstance around it being anything other than a complicated, painful injury that's just been tricky to frickin' get the guy back on the court. That's mm-hmm. my that's the way for me to simply look at it. This is even this is even simpler than t- it's simpler than an Isaiah, right? Isaiah's got the you know the Brinks truck. He was meant to be backing up. You know, Kawhi's not doesn't need the money, right? He's under contract. What one more year? Is it one more year? One right? more year after this year, and then he's, he either signs the um, extension, extension or, yeah, or yeah. he goes in the um, free agency. UFA, that's right. Yeah, so. So let's yeah, talk, so though, look, a bit more about the Western Conference, though, Daz. I mean, this is the fascinating thing at the moment. You've got 10 teams into eight. Obviously, the Rockets and the Warriors are there. Rockets have won 15 straight. Warriors have won five straight. Uh, they're there. I, I don't know who gets the one seed. I suspect it's going to be the Warriors. They've got a far easier schedule on the rest of the way in. But uh, we'll wait and see how that plays out. Both teams playing obviously really good, and they are both the favourites uh, to meet in the West Conference Finals. And whoever wins that is probably expected to win the NBA Finals quite comfortably. So let's look underneath that, though. So we've, we had a conversation a few weeks back, and my tipping's been pretty terrible this year, but I'm going to give myself a pat on the back for saying that watch out for the Portland Trailblazers, who straight after I said that, Dame Lillard went down. But since he came back, they're now on a six-game win streak themselves. And unbelievably, they've pushed themselves up into the three seed, and half a game behind is the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, who have won eight straight, and Anthony Davison on tear. He's been the best player in the NBA in the past month. Uh, the Timberwolves have lost two in a row. They've got injury problems. We just touched on the Spurs. They're 2-8 in their last 10. They're in absolute free fall. If they don't arrest this spin, they might miss the playoffs altogether. Uh, the Thunder are not playing all that well. And then you sort of got the Nuggets, Clippers and Jazz all playing reasonably good basketball below them. So how do you see this playing out? It's going to be a fascinating run into the end of the season. I mean, how it plays out. Yeah, look, I think we'll both pat each other on the back then because I, from from November and December when I saw the, the two Bucks Blazers games and saw how they had very much how Toronto's transformed their style of play to go really, really deep and change up their stylistic sort of nature the way Portland started to play defense this year and continued to play defense. I just liked they just play smart basketball and they've mostly stayed off the dumb, you know, the low IQ list as well so far this year um so the coaching and and the two dynamic backcourt players and a bit more depth i've always from they've been so consistent right it's nice they've had this little win streak but they this is the same team we saw in november so kudos to portland and and that coaching staff for sticking with it unlike right minnesota who's had their ups and downs and still much maligned for their 
for their defense, particularly post-Jimmy Butler. Oklahoma City, who's been up and down and can't close games, are dreadful in second halves until the final two minutes of the game. And, you know, they're, they're not playing they're not playing terrible, but, the, you know, they're, they won six out of ten. Um, and then, um, right, the Spurs obviously in a bit of a, a bit of a free fall, a minus LMA, and I think Minnesota's going to continue to lose without Jimmy Butler. We'll see. I, I think Portland could sustain. Could they stick at the three? Gosh, with no Jimmy and no LMA, it's almost hard to argue well, against them. That's where the decision on Jimmy Butler will become interesting. If they fall out of the playoffs before he comes back, and you're looking at it saying, well, their best-case scenario is we push into the seven or eight seed, and but it, we then up the risk that he does further damage and serious damage than they, then I get the decision. But if you're sitting there being able to play for the 4-5 set, I don't think it's a decision. It depends how many games you're talking about coming back for and things like that as well. But I could certainly well, see the- Minnesota and the Spurs, just to finish that thought, the Minnesota and the Spurs both missing out in the playoffs. What we don't know yet is I have not heard anything about the surgery other than he had successful surgery, which is the news out of every surgery. What I haven't read is was it a meniscal clear-up or was it a meniscal repair? And for the non-surgeons on the uh, listening to the pod, the, if he had torn cartilage and the surgeons went in and said, you know what, it's torn, shredded off, and they just clip it out and remove it, that's a, that's a meniscal, you know, they're cleaning up the cartilage and taking it away and doing their best to refit, you know, the, the bits of cartilage if they can move it around so that's protecting the bones from hitting each other or was it a meniscal repair which is a surgically stitched together like the shredded piece of cartilage right to basically try to heal it back together the recovery time from the repair is far longer in the latter situation than if it was just a clear just a cartilage clear up so that's the one thing we don't i haven't heard yet is what type of surgery was it which will then tell us right what sort of recovery time but then I'm so ir- almost irrespective of that. Let's say he he's going to miss a month of March. He's going to miss basically the the entire, if not the entire regular season, most of the regular season, irrespective of the type of surgery. Um, that is a big question, right? So he comes back with five five games to go, and they're the, in the ten seed. What do you do? Right? I think that's a that's a very different question than they've made the playoffs and he comes back for the first round. What do you do? Mm. Right. So I think that would be a harder decision. Is you know if you're two games back with five to play, for example, do you do you go hell for leather and go for it? Um, still hard to sit if you're if you ask me. It's still hard to ask a a warrior like Jimmy not to go for it. But um, yeah, it, it comes into the calculus. Yeah, I think if they can stay afloat and they're in that sort of middle range, really, if you can if you can avoid falling to the seven seed, you absolutely bring him back. But uh, if if they fall into that seven eight and then fall out of the playoffs altogether, then I get I guess there is more of a decision to make, and you yeah. take the medical situation into account. But yeah. if someone says to me, "Look, there's no great risk of further injury, we're just going to rest him up," well, I don't I don't really get that argument as much as yeah. if there's a risk of injury. So, but in terms of how this plays out, look, I'm seriously concerned about the Spurs. I, I don't know how. I mean, uh, they play Memphis tomorrow. Memphis on a third in a game losing streak. Um, that's no gimme for the Spurs at the moment if, if, if Aldridge doesn't play. Kawhi's still out, of course. Uh, then they play the Warriors and OKC 
uh, on the Friday and Sunday Australian time. So uh, there's two games. You certainly there's no way this first team's going to beat the Warriors, and then obviously OKC becomes a massive game uh, in OKC. So I could see that, as I say, I could see the Spurs continuing to fall down. I'm still not a believer in the Clippers. I think they're they're a bit of smoke and mirrors at the moment. But the Jazz, we spoke about, have uh, a very easy schedule. So I think I've got the Clippers outside looking in. Who's the who the other team is that's going to fall out? I'm not really sure at the moment. I think it comes down to the Nuggets and the Spurs, to be honest. Yeah, and we've seen flashes from the Nuggets here, right? They're actually on a pretty good little streak. And Millsap is back now, but. What's interesting is Millsap is back, and they won the both games he's played, but uh, suddenly Jokic's, Jokic's numbers have just tanked, right? He's suddenly down to like 12, like 12 or 13 points a game since Millsap's been back, and so they've, you know, this is just goes to show. Right? Just don't add, ta-da, here's Jimmy Butler, everything's better, right? It fucking takes time to work this out, so a, a scintillating offensive player like like Jokic now is having, he's got totally different space now with, with Millsap back on the court. So theoretically, Millsap should be a net positive for that team. But you know they're going to have to, you know, figure some stuff out on the fly. And they have not been the highest IQ team this year. So well, the problem for them they is got, they've got a lot of more away. Well, they got more away games than home games, and their away record is atrocious: eleven and nineteen away, twenty-four and nine home. They've got the, see, the best home advantage I think in the league particularly when they're playing teams off a back to back yeah them in Utah and look I almost sort of say look there's almost a case for the Clippers and that is is a Doc Rivers who right is a a pretty fantastic coach and they've got nothing to lose right so that's a team who's you know they're not going to get a great draft pick no matter where they're at Um, yeah they've had an incredible Incredible uh, upheaval in the roster. Now I got all these really, really hungry young guys fighting and playing with the, you know, kind of led by the 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 fearless, ageless Lou Williams, right? So I think that's a. I think there's going to. I have. I haven't checked the strength of schedule, but I don't think that's a team to overlook necessarily. Just because they just they're not going to be they're going to be free and easy, right? And no pressure. No pressure there. There's pressure in Denver. There's tons of pressure in Minnesota. There's pressure, tons of pressure in Oklahoma City, right? And the New York, New Orleans Pelicans are begging, right? They're praying <laughs> to hold on to a to a, to a playoff spot, right? Um, and I think what we're seeing without Anthony Davis is one way to interpret what he's doing is like this is his ultimate courtship to boogie, right? Blown Achilles or great Achilles. This is the hey man. He went out and said, you know, um, when Boogie went out, he said it's a shame because we could have been contenders with Boogie. And now he's out trying to prove that his his words weren't weren't just empty, you know, platitudes. And playing the way he's playing, and Etwan Moore is playing good. So, but there, I mean, that team is probably who's the most desperate to make the playoffs. Boy, that is a. It's like seven Shawshank Redemptions here, isn't it, Daz? Like seven of them trying to jump out that shitter and trying to come out the other end. And who, who wants it most? You know, who's Andy Dufresne? And man, I, I have to say, it's probably is Anthony Davis want it more than than Russ and Paul George, probably. Um, but I, then I think the freedom, the freeness, and the looseness and the of the Clippers. And I'm oh, man. They just don't have near the talent that Denver does, but I, I like their 
you know, they're going to be playing free and easy. So um, I, I'm I, I'm going to have to waffle again. I have no idea. I have no idea how it's going to play out. Well, no, I mean, I'll give you my prediction. I think Clippers and Nuggets miss out, but that's but look, if you, you told think the me Nuggets and you think Trailblazers, but if you told me Trailblazers and Pelicans miss out, they were the current three four. I wouldn't be stunned. Like that's how close it is. It is that close, yeah. It is that close. I, I think you're right. I think Minnesota and San Antonio are most perilous now. They right because they've lost, you know, just the, with the injuries. I think Minnesota could really flop without. They've lost two in a row, right? And the defense has just gone to hell. Well, they're four Not and surprisingly, six in their last right? ten, as I touched on San Antonio, two and eight in their last yeah. ten. And the Thunder they couldn't are six defend. and four in their last ten. That's really the sort of ball they've been playing all year. But that's sort of six yeah, percent. Yeah, blown up by the Rockets, two meaningless victories against the Bulls and Kings, and then couldn't defend Dame and CJ and couldn't defend Donovan Mitchell. The right, they're just the, horrific. It's, her, it's hemorrhaging. Well, yeah, they went to sign Corey Brewer. That's how desperate they are. Um, to get yeah, yeah. Well, he's upgrade what... against <laughs> Shabazz. Uh, Doc Rivers must die a little inside every time he sees Corey Brewer shoot now because Corey Brewer took <laughs> a three the other day and hit the side of the backboard <laughs> from the corner, and he must just think... How did that guy make all them shots against us in that game six? Uh, Clippers, Clippers, Houston, uh, uh, yeah, Smith. Like, that's ridiculous, ridiculous. Yeah, he had a Kelly Olynyk game. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So we'll see. So look, if I, you're gonna, you're saying Clippers miss out and Denver misses out? Is that your... I'm saying Clippers Denver. I'm putting putting a putting it on the line. That's that's the teams that uh, that that I think will miss out. We'll I'm going to do hot take. I'm going to say. Utah stays out, and I'm going to say the Spurs drop. I think even if this is this is based on, well, you know, look, right? It's I just look, I look at the hunger factor, right? Um, if LMA, what's LMA's injury like? Is this an ankle sprain? We don't want LMA to get hungry again. He got hungry last playoffs, and we saw what happened. <laughs> <laughs> now LMA will be back for the Warriors game. I don't think he'll be back tomorrow for the uh, okay. Uh, for the uh, Memphis game. It says he's questionable uh, for the Grizzlies game. Yeah, Kawhi's still out. So, I mean, we, yeah. we've got no chance of beating the Warriors, so we might as well sit everyone for that game. We'll just play the uh, the Toro Spurs. Yeah, schedule, schedule loss, that's right, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But no, look, I think I think LMA will be back, but the, the bigger question is how, how much longer does Kawhi out for and, and and if Kawhi comes in that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to start winning games either there might actually be a period I mean Kawhi's record in the nine games he played was only five and four uh, so actually it might have even been four and five it wasn't great um, trying to integrate him back into the team and he wasn't even playing as well either so just because he comes back doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a massive uptick in their fortunes either so what's, I, I certainly what's their see schedule? the risk uh, harder schedule What's in the their schedule well, like? harder schedule of the playoff contenders. They've got the hardest. They Golden do State. have more teams at home though. Jeez, three in a row at Golden State, at OKC, at Houston, then Orlando, New Orleans at home. New Orleans isn't a gimme. Minnesota, Golden State, Washington, big home stretch. Right, this yeah, is making up for the rodeo the road trip. One. Right. So losing yep. to Lakers the other day was a killer. You can't oh, afford to lose those sort of games. Yeah, that was a weird game. Yeah, you're right. Minnesota, Golden State again, Washington, uh, Utah, then at Milwaukee, at Washington, at OKC, Houston, at Clippers. Wow, that has got to be one of the hardest schedules in the league. You're right. 
Yeah. I'm sticking with it. You know, I'm, I'm not doing this to wish it on you. I just, I just, the, the, you know, the, they're, they're leaking. The, the ship's taken on water, man. And so with the variables around Kauai, um, I like the f- freeness and looseness. And well, before you be honest, write Utah off, go and have a look at their schedule. It's the easiest in the league. Is it? I just they're way back in the loss column though already. Yeah, well they've already got well, 30, only, 30 three losses. Three games out from the Thunder, but they have a power the puff schedule, an absolute power the puff schedule. Okay, that that could change my my thinking then if and I. And with the sheer number I, of teams tanking, I just think when you when you're playing those, teams, right. it's got to be a W. Orlando, New Orleans, Detroit, Phoenix, Sacramento, Atlanta, Dallas, San Antonio, Golden State, Boston, Memphis, Lakers, Clippers, Lakers. Yeah, okay, that is – you're right. If they've got 20 games to go, they should really go 14-6, and six, shouldn't they? Mm. Yeah, okay, look, fair call. So if they if they win 46, yeah, so I think it's the race to – what's the magic number of victories here, Daz, in the West? Is it 46? I think it's going to be 46-47. Yeah, that's crazy. Eight seed again at 46 Ws. Man, it's awesome. Look, I'll just – yeah, look, that's a pretty that's a pretty easy schedule. All right. Spurs and Clippers don't make it. <laughs> now, look, last last thing, Des, um, we might. Uh, how excited were you about this NBL uh, announcement? So, that's not following it. The NBL and and the Sydney Kings in particular have announced that they're going to be a development pathway for NBA players. So, we've seen Terrence Ferguson. We actually saw James Ennis after he was drafted, sent out to Australia for a season. Um, we've seen a couple of guys sort of go in the NBA and then come out to. Australia and play in the NBL, but how excited are you? And do you, th- do you think it r- really raises the level? I mean, Terence Ferguson didn't do a hell of a lot when he was out here, but in terms of, I guess, the development pathway, players coming to Australia and then going to the the, uh, the NBA from there. I mean, how excited were you to hear this? And do you think it, it make it's going to make a massive impact on the NBL and on the development of these players going over there? I think it is an awesome, if only if it's symbolic, and I don't think it will just be symbolic, I think it's an awesome thought process, right? So basically what it, what this is, is um, the NBL's got this thing called the Next Stars Initiative, which basically says that they are going to try to specifically target the these one-and-done players, right? So guys who, like you said, Ferguson, like Brandon Jennings before him, um, Moutier, Moutier was another one, wasn't he? Didn't he play? He played in China. Yep. China for a year instead of going to college. And so what they're going to do, right, is what um, is obviously the allure of Australia is that um, the NBL is a, is a – look, it doesn't hold up to some of the, the bigger European leagues in terms of, of, of quality, but it's a very uh, – it's a tough league, right? Mm. Um, there's a lot of smart basketball here, and so they – this will be boys, right? These 18, 19-year-old kids up against men. So it's not going to be easy for these guys. But a base is going to give them an option to forget college, come here and play. The NBL teams are going to create extra roster spots. So it's one extra roster spot per team is, is the agreement. They'll get $100,000 um, Australian dollars as part of the, um, as part of the, I guess, the, the package or the contract. And I think this is going to be alluring. I think the chance to come play here in an English language country, right? Again, 18, 19 year old kid going over to Greece or Lithuania, wherever the balls are at or China, that's not easy to do, right? That's not easy to do as a kid. And when you're trying to play for your livelihood and you've got agents and managers in your ear all the time. And so I think that to have the infrastructure, 
There's tons of familiarity, obviously, with Delhi and Bogut and Coach Brown and countless others, right, who've come come through the come through the system. So that flow back and forth. All the guys who've been playing college ball at St. Mary's have a hundred great hundred great stories about what life is like here in in the NBL. So I think it's just really, really, really clever. And to be honest, from an NBL perspective, what a really cool draw. I personally, I, I would go. I'm more likely to go see more NBL games. If I know that there's a you know a guy who is highly recruited out of high school from the U.S. and you know he's only going to be here for one year, that what fun! I was I'm, I wish I never got I never got to see Ferguson play. But granted, he didn't play tons of minutes, so um, that's the other thing. It may not be guys who come in and you know score 20 points a night. It could be you know, very much developmental stuff like what Ferguson got. But I think right, I think it's phenomenal. I, I just love it. I love the idea. And as soon as I saw it, I thought it was just awesome for everybody. Awesome for the 10 or 12 kids who come over and get to fill it. Awesome for the local teams here to try and, you know, sprinkle in a what's likely to be, you know, probably a, a pretty good athlete into their program. And, um, yeah, just a great marketing for, for the NBL. Well, they stated Gowley's to be the second best competition in the world, obviously behind the NBA. So that's their stated goal. I'm not sure what sort of time limit they've given themselves to do that. But this is the sort of out-of-the-box thinking that the NBL has needed because the NBL used to be, this was before your time in Australia, but it used to be uh, quite a good draw in the sort of mid, early mid-90s. And then as the NBA became more accessible to people, the NBL became less interesting to people. And I think, you know, with, with the advent of league pass and things like that, it's like, why would I want to go and go to an NBL game or why would I want to watch an NBL game? Well, this is now, I guess, getting some... Um, some synergy between the NBL and NBA in a way that they haven't been able to do in the past. So now you're looking at it, and if you're like yourself, a Milwaukee Bucks fan or Moose Spurs fan, you think this guy could be available in the teens. Let's go and have a look at him live and see what we might be getting next year in the NBA. Um, and some of these guys, look, some of them are going to be like Ferguson. I mean, Ferguson was a defensive first player. He played minutes that was more just, I think, his usage wasn't that great. And I went and saw him in the game and, and couldn't get much of a read on him at all um, for what it was worth of my great scouting abilities. But in terms of uh, some of these other players that might come out, they might, you know, you might get a, a Trey Young sort of player come out and... and take over some games out here and that, that becomes yeah. a real draw card then uh, if you've got some guys that are coming out that are able to handle the ball, some of the big guys that we've seen in college and with all the issues obviously the NCAA is facing at the moment uh, th- this is a real draw card I think um, and I think you're going to be surprised within a couple of years if not even in the first year the quality of players that this, that this will draw because $100,000 to these kids, I mean, you go to the NCAA and, and you're not paid a cent apart from getting your education, which, you know, generally they go for a year and I'm not sure what the percentages are in terms of actually going on and finishing the degree or come and actually get some life experience, come out to Australia, be part of a professional program and bank some money as well. Well, the other thing is it's an alternate to the, really to the G League, right, as well. It could be, right, mm. which is the... Um, which the style of play is really hard to to instill because there's so much turnover, right, with these players and, and the teams and uh, my you know the my Wisconsin herd the first first year of the Bucks G League team, it's just a 
Have you watched any G League this year, Daz? No, I what I've heard about it is it's like, as they say, so a DJ Wilson might come back and they're like, okay, we've got to feature him for five games. That's it. Because he's That's come right. back. And then he disappears and now we're supposed to do what? Like, exactly. So there's no real continuity. That's right. So there's, there. The continuity is really poor. Um, the, the system is, is harder to implement, right? The guys in your team can be picked up by any other NBA team at any given moment in time, obviously, unless they're on two-way contracts. And so, and the style of play is a very, it's, uh, uh, I don't want to say pure street ball, but it's loose, right? There's not a lot of defense, to be honest. Mm. And so I think that's the other, the other thing here for the NBL, where it's a lot tougher, right? The men are tougher and they're, you know, much more established teams. And I think the system they play is going to be tougher. So I think this is a, this is the type of thing that really, allure to guys who don't just want to they might be more three and d types or they might be the more you know badass four types who don't just want to get um you know get thrown into the g league or you'd be just kind of stuck underneath the rim in in college in a really great sort of way where they can learn to play both ends of the court in a system and really learn learn a system where i don't know how much learning is going on in the g league I think G League is trying is a stat chasing. I think coaching in the G League is really, really, really hard. So I just think it's this. This is so smart. I just think it'd be the beginning of something bigger, right? I think it's going to start with one roster spot. And who's to say it doesn't turn into, you know, in five years it turns into five roster spots, right? You know, where it becomes a bit of a co-development league, you know, with the free flow of players. Who knows where this could lead to? But mm. I love this on every level, Daz. That's great thinking. Such a simple idea. But had could have some really awesome effects. I, I almost can't wait now to, you know, for the next season to begin. Wait, I guess the playoffs are coming. The playoffs, the playoffs? are coming. Look, and it's it's a, it is yeah. a good standard league. So I've I've said before, if you if you want to, if it's a quiet day in the NBA, they show some of the games on free to air TV in Australia, and they're well worth a look. I mean, the 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 playoffs have just started off. It was Perth, New Zealand, Adelaide, Melbourne made the top four. Uh, so the playoffs are underway at the moment. So we'll, we might even have an update on that next week uh, to see who makes we the, should do. the yeah. final for sure. Uh, and obviously we will be tracking this story as it goes along and see what sort of uh, developmental prospects uh, these teams bring in in the next year. But th- this is a continuation of a theme of many, many really good decisions that they've made and they haven't you know they haven't sort of tried to do it all at once either they've they've just sort of drip fed the, some of these ideas through and slowly but surely they've made the league a lot more attractive um and and brought in much much better talent uh to the league as well so i, I love yeah i was league. just reading reading the headline um looks like the uh, you know melbourne is um they swept the breakers here and a name very familiar to me right josh boone who had a massive looks like 33 points 15 rebounds, two steals, two blocks, um, and the game-winning shot. Um, was He was a very, very good college player. So he played at, at Connecticut, if I'm not mistaken. So he would have played with um, – that's where Rudy Gay went to college. He's after Rudy Gay. But anyway, that's a, if that sort of caliber of player is playing here, I go, that is a – yeah, this – this um, what do they call it? Rising – not rising stars. What's it called? What's the name of this program that the NBL has created? It's, it's got a name. It's the uh, don't tell me the Next Stars, the Next, Next Stars, Stars program, right basically. Yep. Yeah. So um, I think it's awesome. I can't wait to see it. Can't wait. Yeah, well, it looks like the Adelaide are going to be meeting Melbourne in the grand final 
Uh, Adelaide, Melbourne, course, that's um, right. Terence Ferguson's yeah. team from last year. They took a 1-0 lead over Perth, 109-74. Goodness me, that's a, that's a massive score. And they only play 10-minute quarters, Daz, so that, that is a massive score. That's a massive score, uh, yeah. In a, in a semi-final. So it, Perth do host game two in that series, uh, but uh, Adelaide, will, you'd imagine, would take it home from there. And, and they've been... Uh, the, well, them and Melbourne have been the two best teams all year, so it would be good to see both of those guys in the uh, in the finals in a week's time. So we might, we'll might certainly be looking at that, Daz, again from there. And just quickly looking at the, at the schedule, upcoming schedule in the NBA this week. Uh, any sort of games jump out here in particular uh, across the coming week? Well, we got more of these, you know, intra-playoff matchups coming up where we've got, you know, Bucks indiana again tomorrow night. Um, that's probably the only interesting game tomorrow. You got Miami, Washington, another sort of Eastern battle uh, in a couple nights. Uh, Pelicans, Clipper. Pelicans, Clip. Who's in the Rockets? Did you say? Thunder at the Rockets. That's a blowout. Sorry, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I think Sorry. the Rockets are due for a loss. Yeah, they are. They might need to rest one. I'm looking forward to the game. Like the, I can't stand watching them against the Bucks. Um, because both those games were brutal this year, but Pelicans, Clippers, right? You're talking about battling for playoff spots. That's coming up on uh, that's Wednesday, and uh, then of course you know Houston comes to Milwaukee in a few days, and I'm not not looking forward not looking forward to that. It's always a measuring stick, I guess. But then Philly, Miami uh, after that next day, and you got a battle against Golden State. And then again, I, I you always I love the the uncommon opponents. It's uh, Wizards at Pelicans on uh, Friday might be the most weird, if not interesting, game of the next sort of little while. And then yeah, we'll see if Portland can back up their some of their play. I think of recent as well. They got a tough like a tough little stretch here. They got Golden State this week um, uh, coming up later in the week. Nuggets, Cavs are another one to watch out for because they're the sort of games, if the Nuggets are going to win, make the playoffs, they're the sort of games that become must-win for you, I think. Well, they they won today, right? So is there, they're playing back-to-back, are they? No, 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 they're playing on Thursday, so that's... Uh, well, they play the oh, second game in like four days, games, right? Okay. A, yeah, home-and-home series. So I think they almost, beat Cleveland, yeah, almost, Cleveland. Yeah. This one's going to be in Denver. Um, so, but I so, tell you what, I know it was uh, at the expense of your of your Spurs, but the... The plucky Lakers there, Daz, without keyword, without Brandon Ingram. Boy, they look good without Ingram on the floor. <laughs> you know, stutter stepping and jab stepping and tippy toeing. I'll tell you what, though, the I Lakers just... are showing signs. I mean, Lonzo they Ball are. was magnificent in that game. Um, he only scored 18 points. It was all three pointers, but that was what the Spurs were giving him. He just sort of took what the defense gave him. But the Man, court the Lake, vision the Lakers of the just, guy was unbelievable. They, just went, they went 4-0 on a four-game road trip. Well, granted, it was, you know, Kings, Hawks, Heat, Spurs, but still, that's a 4 0 road trip's a 4 0 road trip. You know, that's, that's all right. So, um, they're, no, they're, they're frisky at the moment. They're frisky. They're um, I mean, I, yeah, I don't really want to think about the Spurs, that Spurs game, but I was impressed with Lonzo. Probably the first time I've really watched him closely this season. Uh, and as I say, the court vision, and what impressed me was he, Pop was changing the Spurs lineup in and out quite a bit. And he knew who was on that court at all times for the Spurs. If Tony Parker's out there, he's pushing the pace because that's not what Tony Parker wants. If Dejounte Murray's there, he slows it down a bit, he gets him in the pick and roll, and then he was hitting the threes. 
just really, really intelligent basketball. And obviously was hitting the shots. I think that's a bit of a mirage. I'd still like to see him change that shooting track a bit. But he's making him at the moment. So while you're making him, not much point. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, I guess. So we're just going to leave episode 44 there. We had a few technical issues after we finish that discussion but uh, hopefully you can join us again next week we'll obviously be having much more NBA to discuss and if you do like the podcast please feel free to leave a review and any comments on the iTunes website thank you